0: Hi there and welcome to Inside Intercom. I'm Liam Garrity. On today's show, we're talking to Alina Vandenberg, co-founder and co-CEO at Chili Piper, which is a fast-growing meeting lifecycle automation platform built for teams. Alina's story is a fascinating one. Growing up in Romania, Alina started her first company, selling lipstick before high school to pay for her own education. After school, she decided to do a master's in computer science because, as she says, makeup was a low-margin business. Over the years, she's worked for companies like Thomson Reuters, Bloomberg, and Pearson before founding Chili Piper with her partner, Nicholas Vandenberg, in 2016. Alina shares her story with us today, along with all the lessons she learned along the way. I really enjoyed this chat. So let's head over to studio to meet Alina Vandenberg. Alina, you're very welcome to the show.
1: I'm very glad to be here.
0: You've had such a remarkable journey throughout your life and career. You know, you started your own company before high school. Was that in Romania?
1: Yeah, that's where I grew up, yes. (laughs)
0: Ah, okay. And so you did that to kind of like pay for your own education?
1: It uh, it was a necessity. I uh, started uh, working very early on, and throughout my uh, childhood, uh, many moments of my time, I had uh, several jobs worked uh, in parallel as well.
0: <laughs> Where did your interest in kind of tech come from?
1: I saw a computer at a friend, and I was uh, completely intrigued by it. And my dad was kind enough to save his entire work savings and just invest into. Uh, a computer that I built myself, and the rest is history.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. So, like, what was it like when you then came to the U.S.? And At what point, you know, in your life was that when you moved to the U.S.?
1: I moved to U.S. after I finished my college degree, and I landed in Times Square somehow. (laughs) It felt (laughs) like such a big difference compared to uh, the communist Romania that I grew up in where everything was in cars and here I was in Times Square everything was like there was so much light and there were so many people <laughs> and so many things people were buying it was like the antithesis of my childhood
0: <laughs> was it like in the movies i know with the first time i went to new york coming from ireland that it was just like this this just looks like every film i've ever seen in new york <laughs>
1: Very much so. I felt like I, there was somebody going to come around the corner and <laughs> kidnap me and go to an adventure, and
0: for sure. So it was like, I, I guess, a, a complete culture shock, like you say.
1: The work environment in US was a lot different than mm. that of Romania in so many aspects. But the thing that I was shocked by the most at the beginning was the confidence that the American uh, colleagues had compared to those that I was working prior in Europe. Everybody felt so much more confident than (laughs) I was used to.
0: You know, and I would be the same. I think it's not necessarily an Irish trait either (laughs) to be overly confident. It it can be difficult. It can be challenging when you come up against that, you know, to, to work up your own confidence when everyone else just seems to, it's their default.
1: It was interesting because I, uh, when I had doubts, I was voicing my, my doubts. It was an unusual practice. And not only that, it was at least uh, from, from the outside at the beginning. And then you start understanding all the nuances of it. But it sounds as if everybody thinks they're just going to, uh, achieve whatever they put their minds in. So the, you, you, I was a little bit scared <laughs> that uh, my competition, uh, not competition, but everybody around me was, I felt like was so much more able to do things versus uh, my internal voice that was telling me well in this case you might (laughs) need to be careful.
0: (laughs) I suppose then like you know what was your kind of journey at that point kind of in terms of the hustle of you know climbing the corporate ladder because I suppose then it was it was you know where we'll go on to talk about Chili Piper and its success but at that time you were kind of just hustling really in, in the corporate world.
1: So I started as an intern and I worked my way up to the corporate ladder to vice president and ultimately to a senior vice president title. I uh, thought that the pinnacle of my career would be um, being a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. That's how I was uh, building my uh, skills towards. Little did I know that I was not quite, uh, this was not quite what destiny had in store for me. (laughs) And the reality is that when you work for these large companies, you learn to get to results because otherwise you can't get promoted fast. So you learn that piece of the craft, but you also learn the ugly as well. You learn how to be uh, very political, to create alliances that allow you to uh, climb up. It allows you to... uh, maneuver a budget in a way that makes you look good. Mm. It teaches you uh, some bad uh, habits as well. And for me, from every company that I worked in, and I worked in various industries, I worked in healthcare, in finance, in media, in education. From each industry, I've learned a little bit in how those tactics work and what it takes to be a, a good politician. But I found myself enjoying that part a lot less than i expected and i and i felt a lot more attracted by the the building of things i I'm, I'm a builder at heart and i find a lot more joy when i build things and when i create things rather than playing political games so it was it was not uh, written in the stars but i've done i've i've learned a lot i've learned how enterprises work how they make decisions how they make purchases how each job on its own has its role in a corporation and how everybody operates. Uh, so it was an amazing experience for me.
0: Did the fact that, like you say, you you weren't enamored with the you know the political side of it, but you really just wanted to you know build stuff and the excitement and you know everything that comes with that, did that make quitting to set up your own company a bit easier?
1: It was easier from that regard because I knew that I wasn't made of the right stuff to uh, be political uh, 80% of my time. But there was something else that made me the right fit for an entrepreneur, which is that I have a very high tolerance to risk. I'm not at all concerned with bankruptcy. I'm not concerned at all with starting things from scratch, of obstacles, of of looking stupid. I I, I really, I, I don't have that fear. So as a result, the combination of two made it a match made in heaven plus I also had my uh, husband by my side who was an entrepreneur and kept encouraging me to try and he's my co-founder now so it was it was really meant to be
0: I love that do you think that like that's just a natural quality that you have the kind of the no fear thing because I know there's probably loads of people listening who would love to not be fearful of you know some of the risks that they may have to take
1: It's a critical skill yeah <laughs> I don't think one can really uh, push it through uh, without that trait because uh, you fall so many times like I am at the ground so many times and it's not like it gets better at all (laughs) and you have to be very very confident to uh, be okay in starting from scratch every day.
0: So then when you leave to set up your own company like where does the idea for Chili Piper come from in the first place where did that kind of seed come from?
1: I worked in sales throughout school. I was selling uh, whatever needed to be sold (laughs) (laughs) to make meets end. And I've learned the hustle of it and I've learned the importance of it to be able to uh, help a company grow. And throughout my uh, career, I've also paid a lot of attention to the revenue teams because of that background that I had. Even though I was in software development and I was a product manager, I would spend a lot of time with the sales teams as well. And I would understand their pain points. I would understand their processes. And I really felt that I had a skill set that would um, enable me to build software for sales teams that would help them thrive. And I felt it was a shame for me not to take that leap and try.
0: What kind of challenges, I suppose, did you come up against, you know, entering that very busy space of tech and sales?
1: It's always a challenge. At the beginning, um, we were bootstrapped, so we didn't have any funding, and I wanted to make sure that whatever we were building, we can sell. And it was a condition actually: if anybody wanted to buy our product, they had to pay upfront for a year. <laughs> <laughs> and I only knew that uh, my product is going to have ROI for my customers if they would be willing to do that. And uh, as soon as we got three people to commit, we knew that we had something, because it's hard, you know, to commit to that that much in advance. And then. Um, The other thing, we paid a lot of attention to uh, market signals and we um, went very bullish with uh, no discount policy. So actually, there's never a discount. And we knew that if we're going to cave in, it means that the value of our product is not there. Mm. It was another signal that I paid attention to. Also because we were bootstrapped. Anytime I had to do something, I kept wondering, can this be automated? (laughs) Can I automate the hell out of
2: this?
1: (laughs) And that was uh, the beginning. Now that we've raised funding, there are different kinds of challenges, right? You want to achieve market share as fast as possible. You want to get to growth immediately and Mm -hmm. you start paying a lot less attention to uh, efficiency, employee productivity. But now that the markets are changing a little bit, it allows us to get back to healthy habits.
0: How did you go about finding those, you mentioned the three first customers who signed up, but how how do you go about finding your first customers?
1: I just looked at that moment in time, there was an event, Bright. You'd go and you'd see when meetups would happen with salespeople. (laughs) So I would go (laughs) to uh, in-person, we would go to in-person events and uh, talk to salespeople and tell them about uh, the thing that we were building and ask them if they're interested to try.
0: Was there ever, I, I know sometimes in with businesses like this at the start, sometimes there's like doubt over it being a product and not a feature. I, I'm wondering, is that, is that something that kind of you thought about at the time? Oh,
1: of course. Of course. We weren't. When you're bootstrap, you don't have like a necessity to uh, think through all the details. You just make sure that the economics work. So. When we started, our product was very uh, niche. It was about the handoff between SDRs to account executives. So when um, an SDR would be with uh, someone on the phone and they'd be interested to take a demo, outbounds especially, they needed to seize the moment. They couldn't check uh, who's next in the spreadsheet to receive a meeting uh, that might handle that segment. And any moment is an unwasted opportunity. So we just had that handoff product. And we were often told, you know, uh, People that are uh, providing uh, SDRs with the email cadence and the dialer, they're going to build that and you're going to be evaporated in a second. And, you know, I, I was very cognizant of, of, of that danger and I, I knew that it was a potential threat and we immediately built uh, integrations with the top players in at that moment in time in the industry. Immediately we had an integration with Outreach and Sales Loft. Eventually they did build some light feature in that direction, but... Our product was always a lot more complex and handling a lot more complex use cases to handle uh, all sorts of problems in inequality of how many things are distributed. So we, uh, even though at that time we were perceived as a feature, we still do a lot of business in that field, uh, even to these days.
0: That's interesting because I've heard you talk about like competitive advantage before and and and, and why you believe, you know, bigger companies are unlikely to come in and try and, you know, knock off your product. And I think your take on it is really interesting. Like, can you tell us like why that wasn't a major concern for you?
1: The reality is that uh, a big company can copy anything and anyone. And there are many examples of that. But you look at Google, uh, they can copy uh, any startup out there. Microsoft can copy any startup out there. It's a matter of focus. And they have to dedicate a resource internally that could fight the fight to build the product from ground up. And oftentimes they have a lot of other priorities and oftentimes people who are working within corporations have a hard time to fight through the hustles that an entrepreneur does and have enough energy to, uh, go above and beyond when obstacles happen. So in essence, it's, I feel, uh, it's a lot harder to be an entrepreneur in, within a large organization than it is to, uh, to be outside. And it can be done, it's possible, but it's very rare.
0: For sure, and I suppose like you say, it requires a person to really be the driving force, you know, behind something like that if they wanted to do something like that, which they may not have.
1: That's right, so you'd have to find uh, Nalina at the beginning of her career where she, uh, mm-hmm. she, she knows that she can build things and she's a fighter, but she has to work within an ecosystem and within an existing framework where that has existing red tape and she doesn't get all the benefits that she does by building this outside right because she doesn't have the same upside potential so it's a different game
0: just before we continue with today's episode i wanted to let you know about OffScript. it's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary ai driven transformation we're currently experiencing episode one is on our youtube channel right now here's a teaser of what you can expect
2: I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt or die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript.
0: That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So you're six years in now, am I right?
1: yes that's right
0: yeah so what are the kind of significant changes that you, know, you mentioned some earlier on about the shift in focus but what are some of the changes that have taken place in the company since you started it maybe with regards to strategy or funding
1: the biggest change for me did not come from strategy nor did it from funding <laughs> the, the biggest change for me came from the way i was approaching building of products so i come from an engineering background. I, studied mass, I did a master in computer science and I was building my career around product management. And I felt that if you have a really great product, then you have a great company. But I was naive. And the naivety came from thinking that growth and marketing are just about positioning your product right and making sure that it, different people get exposed to it based on my experience in in other corporations. But I came to understand that marketing is essential. I knew a lot about sales and marketing was one of those areas that I've never spent enough time to fully understand the details. And as of uh, September this year, I'm actually the acting CMO at Chili Piper for the next 12 months. And the reason why I do that is because I don't think I can be a good leader at Chili Piper and a good... uh, co-CEO and co-founder without fully uh, going through the experience of being responsible for p and for being responsible for a marketing strategy that uh, helps us uh, 10x our numbers.
0: Wow. I think that really, again, speaks to the kind of fearlessness you spoke about, because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't be you know, as willing to just jump into those roles.
1: I don't think I have a choice. I don't think I can be a great entrepreneur without that skill set honed in. So I don't think it's a, it's a matter of choice. It's a necessity.
0: <laughs> Is there more freedom now to be bolder in your actions in terms, like you mentioned, about taking risks than, say, versus, you know, at the start of the company?
1: I think that at any point in time, any action that I take, I um, make sure that, I start small before I scale it. So in that sense, the risk-taking is quite similar. So I don't overly invest in, I don't know, a TikTok campaign before I'm convinced that I can target properly or I don't Mm -hmm. create a lavish events experience unless I know I can drive pipeline. So every experiment has to start with a smaller scale uh, to prove uh, value from it. So I would say that in terms of risk taking, it's still quite calibrated the way it was always been. The only difference from being bootstrap versus now is that now we have a lot more variables in which we can conduct these experiments because it's more of us and there's more uh, cash available.
0: One thing that I think is particularly interesting to hear about, I suppose off the back of COVID, you know, has made many businesses rethink their office plans and try to figure out what works best for them. And with Chili Piper, you're a remote-only company. How have you been finding that? It's been funny
1: because in 2016, when we started, and we said we're going to be remote-only, people said it's impossible, it cannot be done. Uh, How can you create a culture where people don't see each other? (laughs) And, you know, we... We didn't have a choice. We had to hire people to build our software and uh, design our software. And at that time, because we were bootstrapped, we couldn't afford hiring an engineer in New York or in San Francisco. And we would go to anywhere where we'd find amazing talent. But it was another um, element to it. I love traveling. And so does my (laughs) co-founder. So it it felt so silly to be strapped by a neon light at the desk when the world is so beautiful and so many things to explore. And I'd worked remotely on with people before, and it didn't feel impossible. So we thought we would try despite everybody's uh, ramblings around it. (laughs) And then when COVID hit and people saw that indeed it's possible, they started looking at uh, all our methods and all the things that we were doing differently to become productive at home as well. It's still interesting because uh, I don't know if you've experienced that, but There's a lot of benefits from working from home, from being close to your family and to have the liberty to be anywhere you want at any point in time. But there are also some downsides to it, like being feeling a little bit isolated and seeing Mm. going through some repetitive patterns that need to be broken. And you need to see people active to be able to be reinvigorated. So there we have some some tactics for, for that as well. (laughs)
0: <laughs> what would be you know is it is it the kind of like you know getting everyone to meet up in the one place you know maybe a, a couple of times a year or something
1: actually i'm in mean, uh, paris right now it's a shame you can't see uh the beautiful uh, places <laughs> i mean we're on our way to morocco morocco in the desert we're bringing all our employees there we're going to be 250 people i think they are setting up tents for us oh, <laughs> in the wow. desert And um, we have an amazing experience there. So once a year, for sure, we uh, give our all into these experiences and they're magical.
0: Oh, that sounds fantastic.
1: And we also have some um, other things that we do, for instance, uh, when people visit each other in other countries. uh, Chili Pie prepares for Airbnb and for dinner. And we encourage people to meet up.
0: Am, Am I right that you travel to every country where you plan to hire?
1: So we're right now in 42 countries, actually, Piper, and I think there's only one country that I have not yet visited.
0: Where is that, you know?
1: I've not yet been in Lagos in Nigeria, but uh, I'm okay. planning to go.
0: <laughs> is, is that something that like came from your own experience of what we were discussing at the start? You know, the differences, the cultural differences you experienced between, you know, coming from Romania to America...
1: I love exploring cultures. I love it. I love it. They're they're so interesting. People do things that are so unusual to one another. And it's so interesting to uncover why and what drives them and what makes them different. And I I find a lot of beauty in diversity.
0: Just before we wrap up, what does the future look like for Chili Piper at the moment?
1: We're at a super exciting time where because I'm taking this uh, marketing team myself, I'm learning a lot more to be a better builder for marketing teams. And I knew how to serve the needs of salespeople really well. And I knew uh, how to uh, get to a product that uh, gets them uh, double the pipeline. But now I'm getting a lot more um, tactical with marketing and I see a huge potential to, uh, for us to become a platform. uh, within that pre-sales uh, funnel that gets me so excited. I feel like there's a huge untapped opportunity and I can't wait to uh, build all the things that I have, I have in my head right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's next, I mean, do you have any big plans or projects coming up that you could mention?
1: We're going to start our first PLG, uh, well, self-service motion. We don't have like a start now on our website, but uh, we're actually going to use Intercom for that. and. It's going to be maybe ready in about four months from the recording of the podcast.
0: Excellent. That's always good to hear. And lastly, then, where can our listeners go to keep up with you uh, and your work online?
1: The best would be LinkedIn. I post a lot about my experiences as a marketer and as a founder Mm -hmm. and as an entrepreneur on LinkedIn. And it's easy to follow and comment and learn from interacting with others for me and for for my audience as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been having a look the last, couple of weeks, I suppose. And there's some really fantastic insights up there on your LinkedIn. But Alina, thank you so much for talking to us today.
1: Thank you, Liam, for having me. That was a pleasure.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alina Vandenberg. As always, we love to hear from you on social. You'll find us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Intercom. Okay, that's it for this episode. See you next week for more Inside Intercom. This is Inside Intercom.